The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. But good morning, church family. I want to tell you, if, it, if you look around a little bit, you'll see we look a little, uh, a little thinner because uh, our, our dear Jeski families, friends, and pastors are enjoying what, what I think is neat. They go away uh, to the beach for a week together. And uh, the house must be getting bigger and bigger and bigger because uh, that's a lot of families when you start talking about, you know, nine children and then, and then a lot of other families stacking up. And uh, it, it's, it's just a real blessing. Uh, I, I had insights on it, which was really neat, which, you know, sometimes you covet, which you think, wow, I wish my family would be able to. But can you imagine getting together for a big family reunion and prayer is a part of that? Wow. I'm excited. In my family, that's what I'm excited for, to, to, be, to be the startup. Hey, guys, uh, before, before we get started, I want to share one thing. Uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Bill Jeske and the elders have asked me to give just a very brief remark on where we're at in our senior pastor leadership transition. And just as a heads up, we're in the third year of a very ordered three-year transition where we're going to go, uh, where we're uh, transitioning from uh, Pastor Bill Jeske to Mark Jeske and uh, here at TKC. I, I want to tell you all, for any of you who have seen Mark, you all know his qualifications are unparalleled. What I love the fact is not only were the elders developed this plan, but in 2020, it was unanimously voted on by us as a body to go forward with this transition that we're entering the final year. Uh, you'll be getting a letter in the mail, but I just want to brag a little bit on both, uh, both Pastor Mark Jeske, who's uh, stepping into those roles. One, his administrating and speaking gifts, it's a little humbling following Mark, okay? It's a little humbling following Mark. And uh, those gifts are self-evident. Ten years as a worship leader, a staff pastor, an elder, and, and a proven biblical scholar, which really neat. Everyone's heard he graduated high honors from Dallas Theological. What's a blessing is the fact that not only are his skills, but his heart and his family follows that in Christ, the example of his father, both in heaven and his earthly father, Bill. Um, over the next year, you'll see Mark transitioning more into a more speaking role, and then Bill starting to, uh, starting to get ready. Now, I want to remind everyone that this, you know, Bill and Melanie, and I've talked to, that's my mentor, so I'm very protective, uh, but Bill, and, Bill is not going anywhere, thankfully. He's shifting into what we call a pastor emeritus. And what I really appreciate that Bill has exampled is he's a true shepherd to his flock. And when you hurt the genuineness the authentic community that Bill has exampled, he hurts. So I am so thankful that we get to transition some of that burden, heavy burden, as, as he's not as young, we won't say age, but as he's not as young, he gets to shift into that pastor emeritus position and uh, still be able to bless us with both his presence, teaching, as well as, uh, well as his love for him and his bride and his family staying here. So hopefully if you have questions, we're going to send out a letter this week. And I just wanted to give you all a short update because, you know, some people were asking me, hey, what, you know, what's going on as we enter this final year? I'm frankly very excited and thankful that, one, that the Lord has blessed us with the amazing, one, the, the vision for Bill and some, we have one of our, some of our founding elders here, Colonel White, good to see you, sir. Uh, and 
from those vision to see what this church, this part of the body of Christ could be, to faithfully handing it over to a wonderful shepherd who I am looking forward to serving as we serve you in Pastor Mark Jeske as well. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness in all things. I pray today as we look at and continue to study the gospel of Mark, that we would, as your, your, your children have already prayed today, that we would see the great gift that you've presented, that we would know that the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ, God, is here amongst us. The Son of God has come to give us life and that abundantly. I pray we would earnestly see the cost, and I pray that we would take that good, fearless moral inventory to determine where we need to pivot forward in your son. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Well, the gospel of Mark, and I'm going to throw on some glasses because I have a lot of neat things I want to cover with you today. We've been looking at the gospel of Mark, and there's a couple things. Uh, we're in chapter 2, and we're going to hit 2 and 3. The first, we have John the Baptist coming, the announcer. And during that announcement, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, we have God the Father himself ripping through heaven into earth, not only by sending his son, but by saying, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In addition, we have uh, the setting and the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ going out and healing the hurt, finding the isolated, those that were marginalized by society, Jesus Christ going to as a foreshadowing in everything that he did. You see him taking sin, forgiving sin. You see him taking leprosy, which is a death sentence, and healing it, cleansing so white as snow that that person could be rejoined, as Mark talked about, with society. We have the disciples being called, follow me. Hear those beautiful words. Follow me. And some of them started to follow. And of those disciples, guess what? If you ever feel short that, hey, you're not good enough, they were sinners. A tax collector, the worst, a traitor, left his substantive wealth to find true riches in Jesus Christ. Guys, we have the Isaiah 53, the suffering servant foreshadowing. And we see in there that he bore our iniquities. By his wounds we were healed. But one group was offended. And whenever I see this in scripture, instead of saying, oh, they were idiots. You know, the first thing I do is, oh, where am I? Pharisaical, if that's a word. And the Pharisees were offended. Now, last week, Pastor Bill Jeske shared the parables of the clothes and the wine sin. That the son of power has authority on earth and in heaven to do something that's amazing. To forgive sins and to change us from slaves to sin to being free in Christ. Now the first question I'm going to ask you to ponder today as we go into Mark 2, 23 and 28 is this. Is the biblical Jesus offensive? Now, I want you to think about that. Is the biblical 
Jesus offensive. Now, think about it. Today's culture as we're looking back at the Pharisees. Now, traditions and culturally accepted practices were really big. In fact, if you've heard of the Talmud or the Mishnah, what they had was the Talmud was all these extra rules that you had to follow to be, quote, culturally accepted, to be, to be in, right with God, etc. And the Mishnah was, picture this, it's a compilation of legal opinions and debate that was constantly in flux. Does that sound like anything current today? Does that sound like anything current today? Because it's hard enough. Now I'm going to jump right into the scripture. And this is uh, found in verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You see, it was a cultural clash. But then he said to him, Jesus, have you never read that David, now I want you to picture David. This is a reference to David the king. He was the king that Jesus, the Messiah, would come in the lineage of David. He said, now David, remember that king, when he was in need and hungry and with those with him, he went to the house in the days of Abiathar, the high priest. He ate the showbread, which is not lawfully eat. And he also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, our lovely heavenly father knows we need a break. We need rest. Sometimes we're like, I did a study on sheep. Sheep will go so far. They will go when they're thirsty. They will go so far into water that they will get their stuff wet and they will drown themselves. They will not stop. You know, the sheep falls over, it can't, get right, it can't get right. You actually have to have someone help it. It's a very hard animal. And you know what? We sometimes go, 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 thinking that'll get us where we eventually want to get to, and we never achieve it. It's that terrible, you know, donkey with the carrot who can never reach because the stick is always going forward as the cart's going forward. And we always, maybe, maybe, maybe after the next promotion, but instead we work harder. And when Jesus comes, he shifts everything. And this is what I, I ask that we say. Our Heavenly Father, when he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, God created, he cares for you. But there's another thing to remember. Who is it who is speaking? Therefore, Jesus says this, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is equating himself with God. This is stoning offense. This is blasphemy or Jesus is God. But the analogy that we can have it both ways is not congruent. He is equaling himself. The son of God is equaling himself with the Messiah, with the Savior. Now, if you notice here, Jesus is looking at these individuals, the Pharisees, and he notices something neat. He peers into them, and he sees not just the question they're asking, but he looks behind the mirror, and he sees into their souls, and he sees what they're really saying. Why aren't they good Jewish people right with God like we are? Dangerous, dangerous territory. And Jesus saw their, not just their actions, but their hearts. 
Now, why we do something is so often more important than how we do it. And I'd like you to catch it. Why we do something. God cares about that why. Give you a very short, because I, I appreciate that Bill has been so vulnerable. I love being vulnerable with you as well in his example. Um, Bill, Bill commented, and I appreciate it. Say, hey, hey, Brian, you know, hey, you know, big arms or something silly like that. Do you realize, you know, from working out, do you realize it's a weakness that I have to work out, work out because I follow a habit because of some uh, cognitive issues? And so because I follow those, ha- those kind of habits, and then, then I can, if I do my daily routines, then I can actually function and, and hopefully do what God called me to do in the other parts. See, that weakness that may look like a strength to some, but the neat part is when you give that over to God, it can be for his glory as well. You see, at that goofy gym, I was able to, two people should be coming this morning. And also, I share with someone, John and his beautiful wife, actually gave me something to share with you today from just going to the gym. I would ask that we look beyond just the results, but why are we doing things? And you see that a little bit. See, the Pharisees confronted Jesus again about the Sabbath, but here's where it gets dangerous. Now, he entered the synagogue again, and there was a man there with picture, a withered hand, and ineffective. He could not use it at all. So they watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, Jesus knew, didn't even have to say anything. He knew their hearts and he looked down at him. He says, step forward to the man with the withered hand. Then he said to them, is it lawful? Is it free to be able to? Is it lawful? Can I, on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Didn't say a word. And when he looked around at them, Notice what that next word is, please. With anger. Being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, and it was whole as the other. Our society is attempting to place Jesus in a corner to say, hey, I just want Just enough to where being good, okay, but I don't want him to affect my life. I want just enough to satisfy so I can appease my devised or delusional, quote, little G God. Because the God of the universe is impossible to be boxed. He's impossible to be limited That is different from us as finite man and an infinite father who cares and loves for you and wants to heal not only the physical, but the brokenhearted. The Pharisees then, they did something when we start to harden our hearts. And I always look to myself. But they did something that you may see in society. Not only did they start plotting, but they started grabbing other people. 
when I read this verse to you, I want to describe who the Herodians are. So then the Pharisees went out and immediately they plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now, the Herodians were the opposite of the Pharisees. These were, picture, you're very, very, let's just say, um, worldly, uh, wanting to be in power. Very, you, you picture the one where the daughter was dancing before Herod, very uh, lascivious, very licentious, very worldly. And these Pharisees, who were on the opposite side, who said, look at me, I've never done anything wrong. Look at me, I followed the, the law to the T. When they saw Jesus, they ganged up with this opposite end of the spectrum. We're seeing that now in, in our current culture. Because why? Because as Pastor Mark Jeske previously presented in the C.S. Lewis, Lord Liar Lunatic, it is intellectually incongruous. You can't have Jesus as a convenient teacher as a good man, as a wise prophet, as a good person. He is either Lord, who he claimed to be, a liar, or even worse, a lunatic. Now, in 1 John, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce to some, some heartache. 1 John, he refuted that God... They refused that God did not come in the flesh. And I just want to read a few of these verses that were already brought up. See, in 1 John 9, he said, He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price so we could have love. We love, as it was already said, because he first loved us. Now, I'm going to share two stories. These two stories are some pretty neat women. And one of them, you know, I, I ask you to pray. Um, Dr. Christine Mary Mujic Flores, the sister of our own Terry Ald, was diagnosed with cancer um, about eight days before she passed on last week. Can you imagine a 50-year-old lady who dedicated her life to, to helping special needs, communication disorders, for helping those to be healthy, diagnosed, and off with the Lord in eight days. Guys, our life is so precious. I pray that we lift up the old family right now as they, tomorrow will be the viewing and on Tuesday in Illinois will be the funeral. I pray for them. I'm so thankful that I don't have that little tiny Jesus, the one that we put in the box. We have the almighty King of Kings that when someone loses their daughter, when someone loses their sister, that we can look at them and say, we do not sorrow like those who have no hope. For we know that if Jesus Christ has gone ahead, he will take us up with him. 1 Thessalonians 4. We sorrow. We miss Miss Madeline. But we have hope. And we know we'll be with her again. Uh, I'm going to share another girl that you don't know about. Her name's Deanna. 
Maratolia Avelena. And she faithfully served on our FETs. It's our female engagement teams in Afghanistan. Young enlisted girl, did some neat things over there. Picture our FETs where they would go and um, because the society is so uh, uh, gender segregated that we'd have our engagement teams where the guys would go off and talk to the leaders and then the ladies would, would go off and talk and they, guess what? They would get better information and, and help out, hey, what do you really need in some of these female engagement teams than anything that we could do? Well, in 2016, she put some good notes in her pocket. It's, nobody wants to talk about being hurt. Nobody wants to talk about PSD. Nobody wants to talk about pain that we carry because that's not what good Marines do, right? And she took her life in 2016. In a paper that my friends from the gym gave me, this is from the Washington Post on the 31st. And here's a sad thing. Memorial Day is about these warriors too. Suicide has been the main killer of U.S. personnel since the September 11th attacks. More than 30,000 have died by their own hands during a period that saw about 7,000 service members die in combat and training exercises. Let me repeat that. More than 30,000 soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guard, sons, daughters, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, have taken their own life compared to another tragic number of 7,000 that have been killed in any of combat or training exercises since 9-11. Since what can we do about this? Well, June is PTSD Awareness Month. And I just, I'll read this very quickly. Post-traumatic stress disorder month is intended to raise public awareness about issues related to PTSD, reduce the stigma associated with PTSD, and help ensure those suffering from the invisible wounds of war receive proper treatment. We've got in the back, in the back table, you've got some books on what is PTSD, how to talk to me about PTSD. There's also some books on resiliency. There's also some books on the Mighty Oaks, uh, Mighty Oaks Foundation. I would ask, if any of you have any thoughts, if you know someone, just take it, pass it on. Take it, pass it on. I bring that up because Jesus, when he, when he went through here, he, it's so awesome. Here he is being sniped. And instead of being upset, he just goes right on and continues with his mission. And here's where, what do we do? But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee, they followed him. And from Judea and Jerusalem and all these places. And they saw how many things he was doing. And they came to him. He told his disciples that a small boat should be brought up so he wouldn't be crushed. For he healed many. So as many as had afflictions, they pressed about him to touch him. And unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, they fell down before him and cried out saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And I put in parentheses, yet. Now, we're in the third chapter of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. There's only two entities that have identified 
that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Y'all know what two entities? I cover them. Clark, what two entities? The demons and our Heavenly Father. Spiritual. I've been praying that we would truly have those spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear. And Jesus, right now, he's calling out to you. Please look at Mark 3, 13. And see, he went up to this mountain, and he called to him those he himself wanted. Please digest that for a moment. Let's read that together, please. And he went up on a mountain, and he called to him those he himself wanted. They came to him. Then he sent them out. God is calling you. He wants you so bad. He doesn't want a portion. He doesn't want you to put him in a little box. He doesn't want you just to show up on a Sunday. He wants all of you. Everything. The good, the bad, the quote ugly. And I would ask you today another big question. What area, and I'm going to say my life, your life, reflects comfortable Christianity. Now, comfortable Christianity, we often think, oh, that's all fiscal. No. Comfortable Christianity is anything that we're doing that kind of, hey, I do this, I'm good enough. The God of the universe who sent his only begotten son to give all, all, so that we could have eternal life to save those that the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. That God of the universe wants all of you intimately in a relationship. And, and I pray he doesn't want the rules. He wants the right. Now, whatever rules that, that we think that we're following, I, I would ask this next thing. This is my last question. Is there any area of my, your, our life that needs to be examined in the light of the gospel? Think about everything that we've been sharing since we started Mark and the beautiful part when we read through and finish Mark. Half of it's on his, his death and his trials and his resurrection. But as we look through this gospel, the announcement the Messiah, God is amongst us. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. You can be free. Is there anything you need to pivot from? Because see, pivot is awesome. And, and uh, I'm going to give you a quick illustration because I need things to remember. Pivot is a sudden change to go. How many of y'all remember, and we still have to do it in a lot of doctors' office, where you fill out paperwork, fill out paperwork, and you just throw it in, and they fax it, and they wear it. Who was the first guy who came up as a health professional and said, you know what, if we put this on, a, on an iPad and people filled this stuff out, one, we'll have it for later on. We'll need some better HEPA rules, but we'll have it for later on. And two, we could pull this information. I could put two and two together. I could make sure, guess what? Oh, this doctor prescribed this medication, but you're taking this. This will kill you. Hey, wait up. This doctor saw this. We could start to communicate. Who was the first person who pivoted from paper 
to, ele to electrons. Think about that. Where do you need to pivot so Christ can have all of you, all of me? Because that's what God desires right now, today. Here's the scary part. Faith is not afraid to pivot. Faith, true faith, is afraid I'm not going to pivot. God's going to call me to turn. I'm not going to. I pray that we have that faith. I do not want to be like the Pharisees. Because when they saw Jesus, when they saw the miracles, when they saw the demons being freed, when they saw the food being multiplied, when they saw the word, the kingdom of God being preached, they doubled down in stubbornness. They doubled down and, no, this is the way it's always been. This is what I grew up on. This is what I was taught. Instead of, what does the word of God say? Instead of doubling down, I'm going to ask you this. What's going to be your legacy? We're praying for a legacy uh, of life. Another 30 men are going to be meeting next week at Bull Run in Haymarket. There's something called the Warrior House. So if you could please pray for a legacy week. I, actually, I covet your prayers. I actually please pray for the, the leaders that are good friends of mine who will be going there. Gabe, Luis, Victor, Justin, Tom are giving up their weeks. They're not getting paid for that. They're giving up their weeks to minister to these men. And they will be praying. And on Friday night, some of my family and I will be going down there, one, to break bread with them, and then to celebrate their completion and change of legacies. The legacy of the good news, um, I get to brag on a little bit of my legacy. Uh, she's most probably serving kids right now, but Sarah Lane showed me on Friday morning. You know, you, you ever wonder what kind of legacy you're leaving? That crazy girl showed me a list of 20 people. I'm like, Laney, what is this list? Dad, here's all the people I asked to go to the, come to the house because school's ending, and they're coming to the house for, uh, for the fun night at the Roberts uh, Sunday night. And I went, wow, Laney. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. That just as we see Pastor Bill passing it on to his family, and trust me, all his sons and daughters are pretty neat people, but I appreciate Mark answering that call to come up into leadership. I pray that just as that fruit is fruitioning for the Jeskies, that that fruit starts to come forth for the Roberts and all of you. Let me pray for us, please. Please, uh, please come up, and then uh, we're going to do communion. Band, please come up and we'll do communion. Thank you, Marty. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 4, we ought always to think, thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all persecutions and trials you're enduring. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. Help us pivot towards you. Help us examine every part of our lives. Thank you for the breaking of your body, for the shedding of your blood, dear God, so that all our sins could be forgiven 
and we could be the sons and daughters that you've created us, are calling us, and are equipping us to be. In Jesus Christ, your precious son's name we pray.